good morning. Uh, it's it's uh, strange to be uh, speaking here with about nobody in front of me, but I'm thankful for those of you that, that are here, thankful to the worship team and those of you leading the service. Um, I want to greet all of you watching this online. Uh, so good morning. Um, giving you the, the peace of the Lord without any germs. Um, I want to especially greet some special friends of Cindy and mine who are not from our church, but um, uh, are watching the service right now. Um, I'm so thankful that you're taking the time to, to watch this, and I just pray the Lord will speak to you at this time. And I also want to say hi to my mom. Hi, mom. I love you. Um, Pastor Nathaniel, um, I love the way that he puts this. He says, this is a great day for the gospel. That is so true. That's just a great way to put this. It is, this, this whole thing we're going through right now is a great time for the gospel. And what does that mean? Um, I think that what that means is that we focus on the gospel and what God is doing more than we focus on the coronavirus. We're more excited about talking about Jesus than we are uh, about the coronavirus. And when everyone else is, is, um, is panicking and giving in to fear, um, we have the answer. We, we have a, a solid rock. Um, it's the gospel. It's the love that God has for us. And he has a plan. And, and when, when things like this happen, when there's a pandemic going on, let's be honest, even those of us that, that know the Lord, there's some fear that comes in. There's a little bit of panic in my heart a little bit. Um, but we, we bring our minds back to the truth that we know, um, which is that God is completely in control. He's completely sovereign over every single germ, um, over every molecule. And um, so the Bible talks about praising God in advance. Um, I think of when King Jehoshaphat, uh, the king of Judah, and they were being attacked, and his battle strategy was to start praising God. And I think that's another way that we can live out the gospel, is we just have an attitude of, of praise uh, in the midst of everything. Another thing I would encourage our church to do is to stay unified uh, in all of this. Um, all of us have our different personalities, God gave us, and, and each of us has a, has a very different response uh, to this pandemic. And, um, you know, some people probably think it's ridiculous that we are not having church in a normal way today. And you're wondering, what is the big deal? And, and you're still giving people big hugs and big kisses and, and stuff. And, uh, and, and so, God bless you. That's the way that, that, that you think. And others of you are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they didn't cancel church a long time ago. And uh, why are these people even here today? And we should have all stayed home. And you're wanting to hire an airplane to drop alcohol gel like napalm. And, and so we have all these, all these different uh, points of view. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can love each other. We can pray for each other. Um, and the last thing uh, that I'd like to say in regard to the coronavirus is I just want to reaffirm what Pastor Nathaniel has already brought out. Um, we need to keep reaching out to each other. Uh, we need to continue to be the body of Christ. For many of you, Sunday mornings is the best time of week because that's when you get the most hugs. That's when you feel God's love the most with people um, coming around you and talking to you and encouraging you. And so if you're at home today, um, reach out to somebody. Uh, reach out, call. Um, maybe you want to go and visit them and, and uh, give them an air hug, a germ-free from a distance hug. Um, but I really, really encourage you. Let's reach out. Let's text. Let's call. Um, let's not leave people in isolation. Uh, when I think of what's going on, uh, I think of Psalm 46. So if you could take a look at, at Psalm 46. Uh, let me read this for us. 
Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are in control. You are wonderfully sovereign over every single thing, whether we understand it or not, whether we like it or not. And Lord, we pray that today um, you'll calm our hearts and help us to be still. I pray that this simple message, Lord, from this simple man will point to you. Lord, you know the cry of my heart. Is that your gospel will be clear. And I pray that you help me to do that today. Help people understand me <laughs> through the tears. And uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bible there, and I hope that you do, uh, please look at Isaiah 43. Please turn with me through Isaiah 43. Uh, we have a, a topical message today. So I'm not going to be so much focusing on just this passage, but using this as a jumping off point to actually share my testimony and what God has been doing and showing me and, and my family. So if you look at Isaiah 43, we're going to look at the first few verses here. Isaiah 43 says this, But now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I want to talk to you about suffering today and how the Lord walks with us uh, through suffering. I remember um, when Cindy had been going through her, her cancer treatments in the first few years, and we were talking about suffering, and we had heard that suffering is a lot like school. There's a school of suffering. And, and I, I think about that, that's very true. Um, nobody likes school and, and nobody likes suffering, um, says the teacher. Uh, and, um, and yet we need it. We all, we all, you know, education, one of those things that nobody likes, but everybody knows that we need. And so I was talking to Cindy about the school of suffering, and I said, you know, with all that we've been through, do you feel like we've gotten our master's degree in suffering? And she said, Joel, we haven't even been to preschool yet. There are two suppositions um, that I think a lot of us as Christians have when we think of suffering, and uh, they're wrong, and I want to lay those out here this morning. The first erroneous uh, presupposition that we come in with a lot of suffering is that we're surprised when it happens. We're surprised because we think we're Christians. We love God. We have the power of prayer. We have a firm foundation. So why should we be suffering? But that's not what the Apostle Peter believed. In 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, 
which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange things were happening to you. So for the Christian, actually, suffering is to be expected. That's the first thing. The second thing that a lot of Christians believe, and in fact, I believe this very much until just recently, is that suffering in the Bible really refers to those people who are being persecuted for their faith. So um, the idea is, um, if you live, let's just say, somewhere in Asia, and you're a Christian, and you are being tortured for your faith, you're being sent to jail because you're a Christian, um, you're, you've been executed, that is real suffering. And that's the suffering that makes God proud, uh, we believe, is people who suffer uh, for their faith. But that definition of suffering is incomplete. Pastor John Piper, um, a very well-known preacher, says that all suffering, suffering for Christ and with Christ, is basically the same. He defines suffering as this, the pain that happens to you on the path of your obedience to Christ. He goes on, and I'm, here's a quote from John Piper, all affliction in your life, from man or from nature, has the same potential to destroy your faith or make Christ look good. Will Christ be enough when your, felt, when your health is failing or when your friends are failing? The magnifying of Christ is the issue, whether it's cancer or persecution. So as you can imagine, I agree with that, and I love that, and I found that to be tremendously uh, encouraging. And I think that's the bottom line. That's the question. Will the suffering that you walk through and that, that I'm walking through, will it make Jesus look good? Will you let me be really honest with you today? Uh, can I just be raw today? The truth is, we love Jesus. But you know what? Life can be really, really hard. It can be absolutely brutal sometimes. There's, there's times in life when life is sweet and uh, it's precious and we're just enjoying every moment and we just praise God and say, Lord, thank you for what a sweet and wonderful day this was. But there's other times when we fall on, our knees, fall on our knees and we say, God, where are you? That doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? You see, we know that God is good and, and he's real and he's close. And you know what? If you gave me a theological quiz right now about God's sovereignty and his love and if it were true and false, I could probably get most of those questions right. In, in my head, I know, I know the answers. But what happens when you don't feel that way? What happens when you don't feel like God's close? What if it feels like God has left town? It's at that point that we turn to the Psalms. We turn to the Psalms because the Psalms have Psalms of lament. Psalms of lament are people who are just pouring out their, their heart to God. And I don't think they're super concerned about the right Christian answers at this time. They're not worried about, about sounding good. They're worried about just pouring out their heart to God. I want to read some verses from these Psalms of, of lament. God's word says, O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from anguish. Be merciful, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. 
My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Why, Lord, do you stand? Why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You know, as Christians, we know the right answers. We know God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. But let's look around, each, around a little bit, and let's be honest here. If we're totally honest, sometimes we're going to cry out in pain and anguish, God, where is your goodness now? Why didn't you answer me when I prayed? Why do you answer everybody else's prayers? But you don't seem to answer mine. It doesn't seem very spiritual, does it? It doesn't sound very nice or encouraging. It doesn't even sound very Christian. But what if sometimes life is so hard and so brutal and so crushing that everything you believed in now comes into question? What if you felt as if the rock that you'd been standing on was now giving way? Some of you have been there. Some of you will be there. Tim Keller says, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we're not in control of our lives, but that we never were. Let me summarize what the Lord has asked uh, my family and me to walk through in the past few years. In 2016, my wife Cindy was diagnosed with a malignant stage 4 aggressive brain tumor, glioblastoma. I remember the doctor telling me that news on the phone. I remember turning to Cindy and telling her that news. I remember the tears coming down my face. What happened next was four years of Cindy having surgery, <clears throat> Cindy having chemotherapy, Cindy having radiation therapy and immunotherapy. And we went to the doctor dozens and dozens of times. We rushed to the hospital many, many times when Cindy would have a seizure. We waited in that oncology room. And we prayed. And we knew that we would walk in and see the, the doctor. And he would tell us, maybe, good news? Or maybe how long she had to live. Finally, in August of 2019, that dreaded news came. The doctor said, Cindy has months to live. The tumor has returned. At that point, things went downhill quite quickly. She lost her ability to walk, to read, to speak clearly. Her right side became paralyzed. Our family came to say goodbye. The Lord called her home. We had a beautiful, beautiful funeral right here. And now for the past three months, we've gone on without Cindy. And our hearts are crying. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day and night and have sorrow in my heart? How long? You've all heard of Martin Luther, uh, the famous Protestant reformer. And he said that he loved these psalms of lament. And he said he loved them. He said, they speak these words to God and with God. And this, I repeat, is the best thing of all. This gives the words double earnestness and life. So the lesson that I want to start off with today, when you walk through the fire, is to pour out your heart to God. You can be completely honest with God. You can tell him what's going on. You can be broken in his presence. You don't need to put on that fake smile when you come into church here. You know, if you've been yelling at your kids in the car and, and you don't have to come in here and put on that big fake smile like I've done so many times and, oh, God bless you, brother. Hey, if that's what you're really feeling, awesome. But if it's not, you're allowed to be your real self and you're allowed to cry and you're allowed to say, God, where are you? I, I can't find you right now. But I want to tell you, do that with God and to God. That was one of the hardest things I've been dealing with in the past few months is I, I kept wondering, but how can I feel this way? How can I be feeling this way? I love Jesus. He's my rock. He's my everything. He's my fortress. He gives me satisfaction. He's my identity. Then why do I feel like I've got nothing left? Why do I have no purpose? Why do I get up in the morning and, and have no will to live? And I was talking about that with a friend of mine, and he said, uh, because you're human <laughs> and because you're missing your wife, and he said, just suffer with God and just pour out your heart to him and, and just tell him how you're doing. And uh, that's what the Psalms of Lament are all about. The second point I'd like to make, it comes from Psalm 34 of verse 18, which says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That part right there, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. But what happens when you don't feel his presence? What happens when he feels like he's a thousand miles away? What does that mean, God is close to the brokenhearted? Well, part of the answer can be found in a poem which is named Jesus of the Scars. It was written by a British pastor during World War I. I'd like to read a few lines from the poem. He says this, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is thy balm? Lord Jesus, by thy scars, we claim thy grace. You see, God suffered too. That's the kind of God we serve. We have a God in Jesus Christ who suffered and died in our place. He paid the price to free us from every single debt and the weight of all of our sins. The Bible makes it very clear that every single thing that we've done and said and all those hurtful things we've done throughout our lives, they've given us a great debt this long, long list of, of payments that we could never pay. Even if we had all the time in the world, we could never, ever pay back for what we've done. The people that we've hurt and the damage that we've caused, 
we don't even understand how much our sin has affected the people around us and how we have offended the Almighty God. But when Jesus came, he suffered in our place and he went to the cross and when he died, every single sin that I've ever committed and every single sin that you've ever committed was put on him. That's how this works. That's what the gospel is all about. That's, that's what we're all about here. That's why I'm staying in here today. This is the greatest cry of my heart is that I can make this clear to each of you right now. Every sin, every sin, past, present, and future was put on him. All of our shame and all of our guilt and I believe also all of the, the sickness and disease and death, it all went on to Jesus and he, he poured that all into himself. And when he died, he said, it is finished, which in Greek is to die. To die is a Greek word they would write at the bottom of a debt, when the debt had been paid in full. And Jesus said, to die," which means I have paid it all. Every single thing. And so that's how we respond to a God who, who has suffered for us, who has paid our debt completely. And I just want to point out that if God's own son suffered and that accomplished the greatest act in all of history, doesn't help us understand at least a little bit that sometimes God's going to ask us to suffer as well, to accomplish his purposes. If you think back to Isaiah 43, 2, um, it says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. So not only did Jesus suffer um, in our place, but the Bible is very clear that God walks with us in our suffering. Remember when it says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted? He walks with us when we go through the waters. When we're going through the fire, he's with us. This is a biblical message that's repeated throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Be in dread of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So for those of you that have put your faith in him, for those of you that said, I want that sacrifice Jesus paid on my behalf, if, you have, if God has called you to do that, then that's God's promise to you today. He will never leave you. He will always be with you. And you see, that's how suffering works. As God walks, through, as God walks with us through the fire, we are refined, not destroyed, because of his presence. How do I know that you're with me? It's probably what you're thinking right now. How do I know that? What if I don't feel that right now? Well, God left the proof in a forever way so that we can never, ever forget his love for us and the fact that he's with us. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died, he was buried, and the Bible says that he rose again. The resurrection, he came back um, with a glorified body, which looked a lot like his, his, his real body, and there was something that he still had. He still had the scars in his hands, and he showed those scars to his disciples. You see, right now, today, Jesus is still fully God and fully man. Right now, today, he is in heaven, and he still has those scars. You say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, in Revelation, it talks about worshiping the lamb, and it says this interesting line. It's a lamb standing as if it has been slain, and it says over and over in Revelation that those who are there worship the lamb who was slain. You see, what does that mean? It means that those scars are still there. He can show those to us. And if you ever doubt, no matter what you're going through today, don't ever doubt his love for you. 
because he can prove it right in his hand. He can show you clearly and forever how deep and how wide and how far and how long his love is for you. He's got the scars to prove it. Our tears, our guilt, our brokenness, it's all washed away. And he's got the proof. And that applies only to those who have put their faith in him. Isaiah 43.1 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. So for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, who say, I want his sacrifice on my behalf, those are God's words for you. I have redeemed you. I've called you, and I've called you by name. You see, we all hate pain and suffering. We run away from it. But God came running to us. He came running our way. How do you respond to a God like that? How do you respond to a God with scars, who walks with us through every pain and every tear and every trial? The answer is, we put our faith in him. We believe Jesus for who he is. There's, there's some belief that needs to happen where we say, you are God and you're the only God. And we forget about all the foolishness that would ever say there's something that we could do to save ourselves. God's word says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, what else? What else can we do when we think about a God who would suffer on our behalf and, and walk with us through every single trial? We worship. We worship him. A God whose, whose love for us cost him his life. God died. He died to save us. We worship him. And we say, everything that I have is for Jesus. Everything. My family. My future. My wealth. My time. I give it all to you, Lord. You deserve it. You keep giving out of great love. And you might be wondering, well, how much, how much time and how much, how much do I have to give? I, I'll give you a good, a good measuring tool here. Give it until people say you're crazy. <laughs> when people say, you can't do that. You can't give that much. You shouldn't be that much involved in the church. Why are you always talking about Jesus? What's your problem anyways? Yeah, that's probably a good indication that you're at about the right level. Um, he is worthy of our time, our talents, and our treasure. And we can give it to him with great joy. So, church family, where does that leave me in all of this? You see, this is so true. But when I go home today, Cindy's not going to be there. But I remind myself that my marriage to Cindy represented something that will never be taken away. Cindy's not going to be at home when I get home. But what she represents will never, ever be taken away from me. You see, my marriage and each of your marriages represent something that's so special. It's God's love for his people. Each marriage, whether you want it to or not, is, is designed to represent God's precious love for his people, his exclusive love, his faithful love, his never giving up love, his covenant-keeping love, his steadfast, self-sacrificing, mercy-filled, grace-soaked, blood-stained love. That's what my marriage represents, and that's what yours can represent too. You know, I know a lot of you prayed for us over the past four years. You prayed and prayed. You prayed for healing, and you prayed for me, and you prayed for my kids, and I am so thankful. Hear this from the bottom of my heart. 
Thank you for praying. And it's those prayers that are putting me here right now. God answered your prayers because I'm standing here right now. You see, he's filled my heart with faith to know that despite all the pain, all the grief, he is at work to make all things new. He's helped me understand that we walk by faith, not by sight. If I only walk by sight, if I only base myself on what I see, I could get in my car and I could drive down to a cemetery only a few kilometers away. And I could see a tombstone there that says Cindy K. Rast, 1968 to 2019. Wife, mom, and friend. But you see, God gives me the faith to see far beyond that. Completely by his grace, with no merit of mine, God allows me to see that he will defeat sin, and he will defeat death, and he will defeat cancer, and he hates those things. God longs for us to spend eternity with him. And when we put our faith in him, we enter into that faith family and we start living with him and for him. And so whatever you're going through today, God wants you to know that he did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but to save you. Whatever you're going through today, turn to him. And I know that Cindy would agree with that. I know she would. For those of us that know her well, she would pray the same thing. Whatever you're going through today, turn to him. You know, I remember when she was in the hospital for the last time and she was starting to go into a deep coma and I wanted to hear her say something to me. And it didn't. It didn't happen. That was another prayer that God chose not to answer. But in the middle of the night, one night, I heard her saying something and I got up and went over to her bed and I could tell she was praying. And I listened carefully and it was hard to understand, but I understood she was praying for me. And she said, Help him reflect Jesus. So you see, whatever you're going through today, turn it all over to him. Give it all to him. You see, that's been my prayer from the very beginning, that all this suffering would lead people to Jesus. That's been my prayer through this whole thing. So if you're suffering with Christ today or for Christ today, remember those nail-pierced hands. He can prove forever, for the rest of history, he can prove to you that he loves you and his love will never give up on you. Suffering, when we turn to him in the middle of it all, remind us of his suffering, remind us of the cross and his amazing sacrificial love for us. Amen.